the talk show. Good evening and welcome to the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Naledi Molo and I'm in for Maschaba Mdolo. The time right now is four minutes after seven. I'll be with you until nine o'clock unpacking a few issues. First up, we look at uh, support for small-scale farmers. And we're asking the question, should development support for small-scale farmers be based on the enforcement of basic human rights? Or should the focus really be on developing poor develop, uh, poor markets? Um, in, in especially focusing on smallholder farmers and, and subsistence farmers. Should the focus rather not be on developing the markets, giving smallholder farmers access to the markets, giving them the ability to trade, giving them skills, equipment. Where exactly should our focus be? Have we done a good enough job? We'll be speaking to Bernadette Atwahene, who is a professor of law um, at Chicago Kent College of Law. Looking forward to chatting to her. At 25 to 8, we'll get into our mentors slot and we're looking at the expectations for men to be the providers. But what happens when this role is not properly fulfilled due to disability. So we look at the plight and experiences that men living with disability have to deal with. Then at 8 o'clock, we'll be speaking to Andy Kawa, who is a social activist uh, against gender-based violence, and she'll be talking to us about her initiative that's called Kwanele, Enough is Enough, uh, with the aim of breaking the chain of silence, protecting rape and sexual violence and their perpetrators. So that's going to be an interesting one. You're more than welcome to take part in all of our discussions. The number is 0891-104-207. You can send your SMSs to 34701. That number again is 34701. And those SMSs are charged at two rand. If you prefer to tweet, my Twitter handle is at Naledi Moleo. That's uh, M-O-L-E-O is how you spell my surname and at SAFM Radio. So let's get going with that very first discussion. I'm joined on the line now by Bernadette Atwine, Professor of Law at Chicago Kent's uh, College of Law. Bernadette, good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us. Good good evening, Naledi. It was uh, great of you to invite me on the show. So let's just perhaps begin by painting a bit of a picture here. So going back to 2012, you have 37,000 members of South Africa's commercial farming sector contributing 90% of the country's agricultural output, but 25 million people living in rural areas producing only 10% through subsistence farming. What's, the, what's, what's wrong with that picture there? Obviously, not enough support for subsistence farmers. Right. I think it's uh, uh, two main problems. Number one, it's about access, a lack of access to capital. Hmm. Uh, and number two, it's about a lack of access to training. And I think those are the two main barriers uh, we have when we talk about uh, scaling up what small-scale farmers are, you know, are already doing, or family-based farms are doing. Yeah. Let's just also maybe look forward and say what would be the impact of having more support for emerging farmers than in South Africa? Yeah. So all the research, there's a significant amount of research uh, through the World Bank that actually says that it is small family farms are far more effective and efficient than large-scale farms. Right? So mm. it's been empirically proven time and time again. Mm. Because, um, so, you know, so that, that's number one. So then you should be asking me now, so why is it that if they're so effective and efficient, why is it that the majority of output is being in South Africa is being generated, in fact, by these larger uh, commercial farming And why is that? Mm. Um, well, again, and there has to do with 
um, these small-scale farmers, what they do do well is using labor efficiently, using land and labor efficiently. That's mm-hmm. what the studies exactly are saying, right? Um, and so, again, what they're missing is if they, in fact, had access to capital, um, then they could really uh, increase what it is that they're doing, right? Scale up the, their existing operations. Uh, and one of the things that, far, that really hinders farmers is risk. Right, mm. they don't have a high tolerance for risk since their um, incomes and their cushions are so small. Then they engage in risk-averse behaviors, mm. uh, which, and so once we once they do have this access to capital, they can take on more risk. Uh, you know, they, they can handle risk better and move forward in the market um, more efficiently. Mm. And the other thing I found, um, the other thing that we need to think about is again training. Right. Um, when when we talk about training, because we all know when you go to Limpopo, Pumalanga, it's actually the black people who are the ones who are farming and planting and and and, and implementing everything. So mm. this, uh, you know, so this rhetoric about you know, oh, they don't have the skills is really inappropriate and incorrect, right? And they obviously have the skills because when you go there, it's them, it's the, it's the black farmers who are actually doing the work. Mm. What they don't have is access to uh, training on. Um, uh, exporting, getting their uh, their goods to market, um, uh, you know, marketing strategies. These types of higher management skill sets are what are missing. Uh, and but those are things that can be Im- imparted onto these small scale farmers um, through proper training programs. Through proper training programs, especially with regards to linking some of those smallholder farmers to markets. I think that's the, that's, that's something we need to touch on. Um, you can have the skills and know how to use the land, but if you can't access the market, then you have a big gap there. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there tend to be things like it's, it's not only about accessing markets, mm. um, but it's also, you know, there's funny things about the market, right? Number one, uh, usually when there is, you know, uh, maize, they were talking about maize, maize planting season. Well, the point is that planting season is planting season. And so the market at that particular time is really flooded with the goods, right, with, with maize, with mm. meal. Uh, and so, you know, supply and demand when there's a lot of, um, when there is a high uh, supply and demand stays constant, prices go down. But if farmers are able to hold on to their goods, uh, right, uh, and, and, and deliver those goods to market outside of the planting season, then they'll be able to also get a higher um, amount of money for their goods. But there are no facilities a lot of times, it's what we call these holding facilities. Um, a lot of times they don't have access to these holding facilities uh, that you that are very common in these commodity markets. Uh, and that also is hindering these farmers' ability to really engage with the market. So it's not only access to markets, but it's something even more specific, which is access to holding facilities, right, and access to commodity markets mm. that these farmers need as well. Well, Bernadette, I know that a lot of the focus in South Africa, especially with uh, projects like Fetzatlala, which was launched last year by the by the president, a lot of the focus has been on encouraging subsistence farmers to enter the markets and to start operating as businesses. Is that focus? Are we? Is that focus not the right direction? Should the direction not be how to do it instead of encouraging them to go ahead? 
Um, I, I think that absolutely is the right focus to encourage farmers to uh, get into uh, the market to start engaging to the, uh, engaging with the markets. Um, uh, I think that's absolutely the right focus when you're talking about poverty reduction, uh, building an economic base, making these enterprises profitable. I think you have to be market facing, absolutely. Um, but I think in your opening statement, you, you mentioned the kind of value of subsistence farming, mm. you know, not market facing. And, and I, the two things are not mutually exclusive. Both things can be going on, right? Mm. Families, when they produce crops, they produce for, con- for household consumption. And then what's left over, they take that to market. So I don't believe that that dichotomy is a correct dichotomy. Both things need to be happening. Production for the family and uh, uh, unit, and then the excess going uh, to market. Well, you've so you've spent some time looking at the situation in South Africa, doing some research as to the kind of support that government is also supplying to smallholder farmers. Has that has that been sufficient? Yeah. So the the work that I've done, I just uh, the book I recently published is called "We Want What's Ours: Learning from South Africa's Land Restitution Program." Mm. And in that book, um, published by Oxford University Press, I interviewed 150 South Africans who went through the land restitution process, and they either got their land, alternative land, or financial compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that study focused primarily on urban claimants and urban land. Mm. I did a um, an additional article, uh, an additional study of the Popella community in Limpopo, um, and that's where my work really focused on what was going on in the rural areas. Mm. Um, and, and again, when you're talking about, um, you know, restitution, we know that the, the, you know, one of the difficult things in restitution is when you give a commu- an individual, a family, or a community land back through the restitution pro- process, we know that in the government there has been almost a 90% failure rate, meaning mm-hmm. that when when communities get back their land, that land is not used productively. That's mm-hmm. a huge problem that the government is working very vigorously uh, to fix, uh, and they're looking for solutions on how to get that rate of you know productivity when this when the land is given back through the restitution program how to make sure that land is you is being used uh, productively there's a numerous challenges on that end mm-hmm. uh number one the main challenge is what you're actually doing is so the government is buying a farm right that was held by one white farmer and his family mm-hmm. and they're now giving that farm that was successfully operated by one farmer to a community of upwards of 500 people mm-hmm. How can it be, right? What was productively run and by one farmer is now given to a huge group of upwards of 500 people, and you wonder why the failure rate is close to 90%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have to really start thinking about in restitution and land redistribution, or the, the land reform program, you know, these kind of design features, right? That there's something fundamentally flawed with the with the design of a program again i'll say it one more time that mm. gives you know that one farm that was productively used by one family is now owned by upwards of 500 people yeah. that is a structural flaw mm. that is contributing to this negative result this negative kind of failure rate that i'm, I'm, I'm telling you about so these are moments that we have to kind of reevaluate um these kinds of design the design of the land reform program yeah, and, and, and given all of those challenges, have we set 
uh, goals that are a little bit too ambitious for us to be able to fulfill. You've got constant conversation about the National Development Plan, uh, some of the aims there being that uh, agriculture itself as a sector should create one million jobs by 2030. Is that is that overly ambitious? You know, the, the, I'm, I, I, the, the point is, I don't know if it's overly ambitious. I, I'm, I'm one who always believes in my personal life, you know, shoot for the moon and even if you miss, you'll be among the stars. <laughs> but the problem, that, that works in your personal life. The problem when you move into the area of government is you're setting expectations. Yeah. Uh, and when you fail to meet, if you set expectations and you fail to meet those expectations, then you have widespread disappointment. Uh, mm-hmm. And so governments can't act as we do in our personal lives. So, yes, clearly the, the, the goals have been overly ambitious, right, because consistently uh, the government hasn't been making uh, those goals, right, and mm-hmm. leaving people with dashed expectations and great disappointment. Um, but again, I think the, the real core of the problem, I have to say, if you, if you ask me, Professor Atwine, what is, um, you know, the kind of, what is one of the main things that can get land reform, uh, small-scale farmers back on track? My unequivocal answer would be, again, training programs. Mm-hmm. In, in my book, one of the main, I have lots of findings in my book about what went right and what went wrong in round one of restitution mm-hmm. and what we need to do in round two to make sure those things uh, that we learn from the mistakes and build on the successes. Uh, but the core is that there was no systematic training for commission officials in round one of restitution. Mm-hmm. And that's to say that, um, you know, and is there no systematic training whatsoever. It's like sending a fisherman out to sea without a fishing rod. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable, unthinkable. And the Land Restitution Act was the first act passed by the post-apartheid government, so clearly it's important. So something this important, how is it that we, we don't give the foot soldiers systematic training? And this failure of training is not just happening in land restitution. This failure of training is happening even at the community level, right? Once mm-hmm. these communities get their land back, training these community property associations to be able to deal with their land is not happening efficiently and effectively. Training, you know, small-scale farmers in, in terms of how to get their, market, their, um, their products to market the importance of holding facilities. This training is not happening. Mm. So I can give you, I mean, I can go on and on and on, but I can give you lots of different examples about where training is not happening, right? right? And the point is that one thing that South African government is great at, and I applaud them for, is really this um, bold goals, great policy, where they, they've had a lot of trouble is on implementation, right? And following through with those very bold uh, policy plan. Mm-hmm. And I think the missing link there is consistently failure to provide quality training, not only to the bureaucrats implementing the program, but also to the communities receiving uh, who are the beneficiaries of this, these programs. All right. Well, we're speaking to Bernadette Atwane, Professor of Law at the Chicago Kent College of Law, looking at necessary support for small-scale farmers. I'm going to be taking your calls. The number is 0891-104-207. That number again, 0891-104-207. And send your SMSs. The number is 34701, and they are charged at 2 Rand. You're more than welcome to share your thoughts with us. We'll continue after this. The Talk Shop. 
22 minutes after 7. You're still on the talk shop. I'm Naledi Moleo in for Maschabam Dolo. We continue our conversation with Bernadette Adwene. Uh, looking at support for small-scale farmers, what is the direction that South Africa should be taking? Some of the things we've been doing right, uh, where do we still need intervention? Give us a call on 0891-104-207. That number again is 891 0891- uh, 104-207. Eddie is in Fixburg. Eddie, good evening to you. Uh, hi, Milady, and hi to Bernadette. Milady, mm. can I just say this? You know I speak to Vanicola just as well, if not better than you. Hey, you know I'm an hey, You You are at night, you know how about home at 2 o'clock. I used, to mock, I used to mock cows 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 years old, cut here. Mm. I'm a real African. Mm. And I want you all to listen. I'm a small farmer today. I had five farms. I lost them all. Not because I was a useless farmer, because of terrible, terrible steering droughts. Now, if you want to help your small farmers, I'm one of them. I was offered a farm the other day by the ANC. I said, no, I don't want it. I said, because you can't guarantee me rain. Now, I want to tell you, you've got to guarantee me that. That you cannot import 750,000 tons of chickens. You cannot import 400,000 tons of milk products. We've got to create work in this place. Allow me to run the agriculture in this country. I'll stop imports, and I promise you, I won't give you one million, um, what's it called, jobs. I'll give you five million jobs. But then I must have sole support from the government to do what I want to do, and that is stop imports, make your own tractors, let this nation start living instead of begging on the bowls of the world plates. Yeah, but Eddie, you mentioned that you know you 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 were offered a farm and you said no because you can't be guaranteed rain. So, what is the kind of support that you would be looking for as a smallholder? As a smallholder, yeah, no, I'm having trouble hearing him. All right, I'll, I'll repeat. Line I'll repeat his point to you uh, as soon as he's done, Eddie. Okay, let me say this. You know mm. what support I want? Mm. That if my milk costs me five rand, please give me five rand firstly. Let me tell you this, my lady. Mm. My, I'm one of the best breeders or dairy breeders in the world my cows give up to 80 liters of milk per day mm. i get gold prizes right around the world america reveres my name but let me tell you my milk cost me five rand i get four and twenty this is ridiculous mm. we cannot make it i want the before i start milking my cow must be guaranteed this like now milli production milli production costs ten thousand rand a hectare and I only get 8,000. My dairy cow, this calf that was born yesterday, it's going to cost me 21,000 to run for two years. And when I sell it, my lady, guess what I get? Mm. 8,000. My lady, you can't do this to me. But mm. so mm. that's what I, small farmer thing. I've got to be guaranteed that product. How do you do that? By having strong agriculture policies, which we don't have because we don't have strong agriculture leaders. Mm. We do not. We have, what you say, Mm, Eddie, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, Bernadette, Eddie there in Fixburg making quite a few points, talking about firstly that there has to be support for farmers in, 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 in terms of the money that you make back. You cannot spend five rand on producing a carton of milk and then only, only sell it for four, rand to, for four rand 20 cents. There has to be the support that he's asking for is to make sure that he will make his money back in the markets. That's the first thing. The second thing that he mentioned is, is that we are importing too much and that's how uh, it, it will make things a little bit more difficult for small uh, holder farmers in South Africa. Your response to that? 
Yeah, some of this is really um, uh, market-driven, right? Mm. So if, in fact, in his individual situation, uh, his cost of production is so high that he's not, in fact, making a profit, then in that individual case, he may think about, then, you know, he, he may not be a good player in this particular market, right? If your cost of production is higher than what you're profiting, then there's something going on in terms of, you know, everything that it takes you to get your uh, milk to market. There might be some cost-cutting measures that need to happen. I'm not always certain that it is. A, a lot of people are waiting for the government to do so much, um, you know, and expecting that the government is to solve that issue, what he described to me from what I heard mm. sounds like, you know, this is a, a, a clear instance where someone, an individual is not really competitive in the market, right? His, something's going on with his cost of producing the milk that's making it too high to sell in the market. I'm not convinced that it's the government's place to intervene in that, right? I think the government should intervene in places where there are small-scale farmers producing at a at a um at a competitive level and coming in and supporting those particular farmers to do more right but there will be farmers whose production costs are so high and they're they're not market competitive and it's not my opinion that the government should intervene on behalf of those more inefficient farmers Mm. He also made the and point. Again, I didn't hear everything he said. Right. From what I did hear. Well, right at the farm. beginning, he also touched on on having to compete with imports. Yeah, and at the end of the day, having to compete with imports is not necessarily a bad thing. It's actually an excellent thing for consumers, right? Because at the uh, you know when you're in say in in Soweto, you want to buy a carton of milk that is you know uh, at a certain price and. People who are already in poverty are not willing to buy a carton of milk at a higher price because it's made in South Africa, right? Mm. So we have to think about at both ends of production and consumption, right? So at one end, um, that the consumers, it's good for consumers to have milk, quality milk at cheaper prices, uh, you know, but it, it does, you know, my, my opinion is that the foreign milk is not necessarily a bad thing. Again, I think what needs to happen in these instances is, the government needs to identify those farmers that are producing efficiently, that are producing that their cost of production are reasonable and competitive and find ways to support those farms. Not all farmers need to be supported, just those who are uh, kind of effective and efficient and competitive uh, in terms of the market. Right. I'm going to take one more. Uh, Josta is in Lipalale. Josta, good evening to you. Evening, uh, Thank you so much for calling. Yeah, um, I think um, your guest is very, very correct because, um, you know, um, around the area where I live, some of the elder people in, in the community, they've been given a farm. They, they can't agree on a single um, a purpose of what they want to do with the farm. One is saying, oh, I want my cows to be my cows. And, uh, you know, we young people would say, no, open a company. And, uh, you know, have everything, all the assets of, of, of assets that you own, your capital or whatever, um, uh, plantation that you may have, put it all under the name of your company mm. and start earning dividends from there. So, you know, it, it just gets to show that they don't even understand the legal platform or framework on which they need to operate, mm. you know, under the, un, under, uh, the forum of a company. So, you know, you've got all those type of issues where people have 
got the land, but they don't know what to to to, to use it for or mm-hmm. how to use it efficiently. So we've got such a problem where you know the communities are not trained. Older people have got their own mentality. You know, really, we need the government to come down to the people and train them and train them on legal issues, how to operate a company, and what recourse do you have if you've got people that are defrauding you or other members of the company that are defrauding you. Such things, because I mean, they they want security. They want to feel that security to say my cattle is not going to be stolen or dividends is not going to be stolen by any other person. Mm. So I think generally we've got uh, that which is a problem and I think government really should try and assist. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Thanks. Right, Justa, thank you so much for adding to our conversation. 0891-104-207 to also share your views with us. That number again, 0891-104-207. Bernadette, let's talk about what a a comprehensive agribusiness support package should should look like right let me respond to this this caller brings up a really excellent point right mm-hmm. and this is exactly one of the problems with these community property associations when i was telling you when the government uh gets land through land reform they give it back to a community and the actual legal holding entity is called the community property association and as he says again about upwards of 500 people can own a piece of land and everyone has different interests, as he was saying. Some people want to use it for grazing. Some people want to make a business. Different people want different things. Mm. Um, one of the challenges there is that the government has been slow to or um, subdivide the land. Because in some instances, what needs to happen is the land needs, that land needs to be subdivided. So people can break up into interest groups, right? Mm. Those who want to use the land for grazing. Those who want to use a piece of the land for, for business. Those, you know, and so one of the things the government, again, has been hesitant to do is subdivide land, and I think that needs to happen because when you're having groups as big as 500 people, it's very difficult to, for everyone to get on the same page. Right. Um, and I'm not sure if they should be on the same page. I think those who want to graze should graze. Those who want to plant should plant it, right? Uh, and we should allow people to do what, uh, to do what they uh, are most passionate about. Okay. The, the, the other point that I want to bring up is that Class, the program for land and agrarian studies in the Western Cape uh, at UWC is doing amazing work in terms of um, analyzing all of these challenges that are faced by community property associations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, if you're, re- if people who are listening are really serious about uh, delving into these challenges uh, that the caller just brought up, you really have to. Um, uh, go to the website and look at the work being done at FLAS in the Western Cape. Right. What I'm going to do is I'll, I'll, I'll open up that website and then give you um, the link to that so you can take a look for yourselves. I'll take a few more calls, 0891-104-207. The Talk Shop. Here on the talk shop, I'm Naledi Molao in for Maschabam Dolo. You tune to SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. Still looking at support for small-scale farmers in South Africa in conversation with uh, Bernadette Atwene. She, just before the break there, encouraged us to look at the PLAS website. It's www.plas, the Afrikaans word for farm, so P-L-A-A-S dot org dot Z-A. Take a look at that. That's www.plas.org.za. 0891-104-207 to give us a call. Ndumiso is in freight. Ndumiso, good evening to you. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. What are your thoughts? Well, I just want to respond to your guest. Your guest was responding to a previous caller who made a point about uh, certain 
amount being guaranteed in mm. terms of money is going to make back. Mm. Right? And she said, rightfully so, that not all farmers should be supported. But I just think that there's a bigger role that government can play. And, and the situation where farmers are not making money is not necessarily a South African phenomenon because all of last year in the UK you had farmers that were on strike that drove their tractors into their main cities uh, in protest of, of such things and wanting the government to guarantee and subsidize them in certain areas so that they could make money. Mm. So I think that in the same sense there is a lot that our government can do to support our, our farmers and I mean there are going to be years of plenty and of course years where things are not so great. And I think they, just, they can just do more to balance out those, those sort of situations. All right, Ndumisa, thank you for calling. Max is in Johannesburg. Max, good evening. Good evening, Secretary Max. Uh, good evening to you and your guests. Mm. Uh, I hope you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you loud and clear. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to go back to Eddie's point because I think uh, Eddie's points were not addressed properly mm. and, uh, and uh, they, they reflect uh, a certain problem that we have. There is what you call WTO mm-hmm. and ongoing negotiations and talks to say farmers in Europe and other areas of the world should stop subsidizing their farmers because in terms of costs, then our farmers here would see bigger costs and become uncompetitive. Mm. So, 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 so it's not just a simple market issue, but what you're saying is that the market is distorted by those subsidies from these European countries. And they render our farmers uncompetitive. Therefore, it does need government intervention from policy point of view. And like what Eddie was saying indirectly was to say, what policy instruments can you put in place to ensure that your farmers get protected from this uneven market around the world? Mm. Right. So I just needed to, to, to make that point because just to say you're not competitive because your input costs are too high, it's, it's a little bit uh, simplifying it. But the real problem is that the market is uneven and because of subsidies. You know. So right. that, that is the first point. The yeah. second point is here. Yeah, Eddie talked about the rain. You know, we didn't talk about rain. Mm. Generally speaking, if you look at the rain, South Africa is generally on the low side or towards the dry. Mm-hmm. dry in terms of amount of rain that we receive compared to other parts of the world. Now, that brings a lot of input costs into it. So we need, as we provide solutions uh, to these problems and advise small uh, whole, uh, uh, scale farmers, be taking these things into cognizance and then be saying, therefore, what advices should we be giving and support should we be giving to small holding farmers? All right. Max. That's all my points. That's brilliant. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, Bernadette, did you hear all of that? Yes, I did. The, the, the line is much clearer. Yes, and I want to say that that last caller is absolutely correct. Uh, when he's talking about um, foreign governments giving their farmer subsidies, absolutely correct. Um, and let me make it very clear. I am not uh, presenting kind of a neoliberal uh, approach to farming, and I'm not saying that South Africa shouldn't provide any farming subsidies whatsoever. That is not the point I'm making. Yeah. What I'm saying is South Africa should be very strategic with the subsidies it gives. From the caller, uh, from when he was describing, 
his particular enterprise didn't seem efficient, and that didn't seem a good investment for the South African government to come into, uh, right? Because his cost, his, in that particular case, the cost of production seemed to be too high, and, and uh, right? But uh, in another case where you have a, and again, I didn't know the particulars of that particular uh, of the caller, but it seems to be the case. But the point is, it's about strategic investments of subsidies into businesses that have the kind of their fundamentals together, that have streamlined, uh, that have, you know, that are producing at efficient rates. And so that was my point, is mm-hmm. to say that we, subsidies cannot be for all farmers. We've got to pick and choose and give it to efficient and effective farmers. Right. Point. Yeah, Bernadette, I think that's where we'll leave it. Thank you so much for joining us, Bernadette Atuene, Professor yes. of Law at and Chicago. I, I, one more. Yes, one go more ahead. Thing Please go ahead. Also, people want more information about the book I wrote. We want what's ours. Uh, there's a website, we want what's ours. dot com. Uh, you can go there, find out lots more information about the actual findings from the, uh, from the study I did, which is an empirical study, data driven evaluation of how the land restitution process went in round one. And it's really important now that we're entering round two since June 30th, President Jacob Zuma announced the beginning of round two of restitution. It's important, this kind of bottom up view of what went right and what went wrong is so important as we enter into round two uh, so that we can have a very kind of effective round two. So please, uh, all the listeners who are interested in these topics of land, land reform, land restitution, go to the website, wewantwithours.com. Right. That website again is wewantwhatsours.com. Bernadette, such a pleasure chatting to you. Have yourself a wonderful evening. No, lady, thank you for inviting me on the show. It's the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.